Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Today we wrap up our, our series called True Blue. We've looked at the life of Samuel from the Old Testament. It's been a really good study. And we come now to the last installment of the life of Samuel. And we come to the last story in his life. Samuel is old now. And when you're old, you have a tendency to look back on what has been and wonder to yourself, where did all the years go? You know what I'm saying? Do you experience that where you kind of look back and you're like, man, time has flown by. Um, was in the back and some, some Adam has two twin daughters and, and uh, he picked one of them up and she was about as big as he was. I couldn't believe how big. I'm like, man, I remember she was just little. Time just is flying by for me. And Samuel is old now, and he's far closer to the finish of his life than he is to the beginning. And the character trait that marked Samuel's life was the character trait of faithfulness. He is one of those people who just kept showing up. He just kept showing up year after year, month after month, week after week. He was there. He was faithful. He was a good man. Samuel lived about 1,100 years before the time of Jesus in an era uh, that was marked by spiritual and political confusion. It was an era that not only, uh, an era not only when Samuel was faithful, but it was a time when faithfulness was desperately needed. They needed to see somebody who would be faithful. And Samuel stands in his senior years now, and he looks back, and, and he remembers that some of his uh, first memories probably were of a time when he was at the tabernacle as a little boy. People would come and offer their sacrifices. It was there. That, that Samuel's mother, who had had a hard time conceiving, and she told God, if you ever give me a son, I will give him back to you. And sure enough, God gave her a son, and what she did next, Hannah, she prayed to God and she said, I'm going to give him back. And at about three or four years old, she took him to the tabernacle and gave him to the priest there to raise him in the tabernacle, and, and Samuel would be raised dedicated to God. But you just need to know that as Samuel grew up in the tabernacle, that place was a mess. Uh, the priesthood was totally corrupt, and here's this little kid running around in a priest outfit, and the scriptures tell us that Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the people and with the Lord. And even as a kid, the people would look at Samuel and they just loved him. From the very beginning, the people loved Samuel. Samuel is faithful when they so desperately needed it, and when he emerges as a young man, there's a time when he begins to point the people's hearts back to God. It's as if he's saying, listen, if you truly want to serve Yahweh, you've got to put your Baal altars away, you've got to put your Asherah poles away, and you need to return and worship the one true God. And so Samuel led the people at a time when it was desperately needed, and faithfulness was his calling card. And now Samuel's old, and he's looking back, and for years, I talked about this circuit that he did. He went from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah. Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah. He did this time and time again, and, and uh, he was fine-tuning the hearts of the people to lead them back to worship the one true God. He made this circuit year after year after year. That's the circuit that he made when he was 36, the circuit he made when he was 42, when he was 53, when he was 59, when he was 64. He just faithfully stuck to it, showed up, and did his job. He's one of those people that just keeps showing up because uh, in order for you to make an impact on somebody's life, it requires that you be faithful in the process. Uh, the chances are good that the people that have made the biggest impact on your life 
are people who have showed up again and again and again. And when you close your eyes and you think about the people that you feel closest to, the people you respect the most, the people you look up to, they're probably the people who have been faithful in your life time and time again. A couple of weeks ago, I had the great opportunity to travel uh, to my hometown and to go be at my home church and to see my pastor. You have a pastor, this is my pastor. You hear me talk about L.D. Campbell, this is L.D. Campbell. This man has taught me more about Jesus than anybody else in the world. He's taught me more about ministry than anybody else in the world. And I would like to think that his impact on me has had an impact on you. And um, I, you know, he, he didn't know I was going to be there. He found out I was in the crowd because they, the, the guy up front called me out. And uh, when the service was over, LD was like a heat-seeking missile, like coming right at me. And uh, great embrace, great, wonderful, warm welcome from him. And um, you can't see it, but I'm just bawling in that picture, just bawling, because I love this man. He's been faithful to me. He has shown up time and time again. He's shown up when things were good. He's the one that married me. He's the one that was there when my kids were sick. He's the one that's seen me through some horrible, difficult, difficult times in my life. I have leaned on him. I have leaned into him. I've confided in him. And that's what happens when faithful people come into your life. You're happy to see them. You, you hate to be apart from them. And so I just, I'm so, I speak so fondly of LD because he's, he's had such a huge impact on my life. I hope that the impact he's made on me has carried through and made an impact on you. Samuel does this circuit and he does it faithfully for years and then the time comes that he's going to hand off the baton to a king named Samuel or to a king named Saul. Saul will be the first king of Israel. We talked in a series in the sermons past that Samuel is really the transition point. He's the pivot point between the the Old Testament judges and the Old Testament kings. The people of Israel wanted a king, and so we talked a couple of weeks ago about how God said to Samuel, you tell them that I'm going to give them a king. It's not in their best interest, but I'm going to give them a king, and the king's going to take and take and take from them. And the first king that was anointed was King Saul. And in the final speech to the people after all those years, he has a final question, has actually a couple of questions for the people as he gathers them together. And the question he asks is, did I ever take a bribe from anybody? And the people look back and say, no, Samuel, you've been faithful. You've, you've never taken anything that wasn't due you. See, here's the thing. One, part of Samuel's job was to be a judge. He would, he would hear out grievances. He would go to these different towns, and he would hear grievances between people. And, and no doubt, I mean, the fact that he asked this question tells us that people probably offered him bribes. They probably came to him and said, hey, you're going to hear our case tomorrow, and we'll, you know, we'd like to give you this money, or we'd like to give you this goat, or this donkey, or you know, this livestock, or something of value, if you'll decide in our favor. I'm sure Samuel had plenty of opportunity to be unfaithful in his duties as, as the prophet, but he never did. And the people said, no, you never accepted a bribe or have taken livestock to turn a blind eye to justice. You didn't do that. Samuel was faithful. Now at the end of his life, he's looking back, and you would think that he would have this sense of deep satisfaction. You would think that, that there would be this peace that comes over Samuel as he thinks about the time that he served and the idea that he has served well. And now it's time for Samuel to kind of fade away. 
And yet, as we open on this last story on Samuel, there is no sense of peace. There is no sense of satisfaction. There is no tranquility for him. Samuel is a mess. He's an emotional mess because the king that he anointed, King Saul, is a complete and utter train wreck. And Samuel is coming to the end of his run, and he has spent his entire life being, thank, being thankful and faithful to the Lord and faithful to the people, and Samuel's in tears. The word that the Bible is going to use this morning is the word mourning. He's in mourning. He's grieving. And this is the last installment of faithfulness uh, of Samuel, and, and something is going to happen. God is going to speak into Samuel's life and into his grief in his senior years and he's going to say Samuel you're not done yet I have another mission for you Um, it's important I need you to get up I need you to get moving I need you to put the Kleenex box away the tears are over it's time to put that all away how long are you going to mourn for this king and for this nation I've got something important for you to do now let's get going you need to get up and you need to get moving and you realize that Samuel is not done yet even though he's old And so in the time that we have remaining today, I want to do two things. I want to look at the the final mission of Samuel, which is one of my favorites. I remember preaching a sermon on this particular story when I was in Bible college, and ever since then, it's just been one of my favorites. And then I want to challenge you in the area of faithfulness to end our time together. You know, hospitals need faithful people. The factories need faithful people. Families need faithful people. Kids need faithful parents. Spouses need faithful spouses. Employers need faithful employees and vice versa. Faithfulness is really underrated. And my hope today is that we would come to a place where we desire faithfulness more than we desire anything else. That we would desire faithfulness more than we desire money or fame or fortune. That we would desire faithfulness more than we desire talent. That it would be the preeminent number one thing that we want in our life. That it would be said of us, well done, good and faithful servant i would hope that you would crave faithfulness more than just about anything else samuel is in tears he's grieving he's mourning he's old and he's looking back and he's handing off the nation to a disaster of a king and it's killing him inside and then he hears the voice of god as a prophet and god is going to give him one final mission and we pick this up in first samuel 16 verse 1 the lord said to samuel How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Come on, Samuel, get up, stop mourning, get moving. You're old, but you're not done yet. And he's told to take something with him. He's told to take a horn filled with oil. Now, here's what you need to understand. Back in the day, they did not have Tupperware, all right? No hermetically sealed boxes that we put in our refrigerators and our microwave safe and all that stuff you buy, acrylic and all that. Didn't have any of that. What they used were if they slaughtered a ram or a goat and it had a horn on it, they would save that and they would put grain in it. They would oftentimes put oil and and liquids in those. And so he's told to to fill his horn with oil, with olive oil. This is for for him to be able to anoint Samuel, get your oil, head to Bethlehem, and go see Jesse. Now, before we move on, let me just say this. We all have losses in life. Okay? We all go through periods of time when we lose people that are close to us. 
it's a horrible fact of life that we, we will all experience loss in life. And sometimes when we experience those, peop- those losses of people, sometimes it could be a season in life. You know, when uh, for some people, you know, kids get married and move off or they move off to college or, you know, eras and seasons come to an end. And sometimes you can get caught grieving that and you can have a hard time moving on. Sometimes we lose people and we think to ourselves, how am I going to go on? How, how am I going to move on without them and we can we can literally get paralyzed um, by the grief that we experience in the loss of a, of a person or a season and, and and Samuel has got that kind of thing going on he hasn't lost a person but he's grieving and, and God comes along and he says Samuel be on your way get moving pick your head up let's go it's important to grieve the loss of a person or a season or whatever a dream maybe but there comes a time when we need to move forward, when we need to pick our head up and, and get out of the funk that we're in and we need to move forward to reach a point where we can have a, a hopeful vision of what life could be, where we begin to embrace new hopes and new dreams. And it's really easy to let a loss keep you in a place that forbids you from doing anything. And it's, it's really important that you move past that point. And that's what God's doing with Samuel. He's calling him to something new. So grieve your loss. However severe it is, mourn it. But hear God when he says, come on, let's go. I've got more for you. Pick your head up. Let's go. We've got to move forward. We can't can't keep looking backward. We can't live in the past forever. We've got to take steps into the future. May God give you the grace to grieve appropriately and then to be on your way. This will affect all of us at some point in our life. And it's important to mourn but it's important to move. Samuel is looking at the past. He's looking at Saul. He's looking at his life. And it is as if God says, Samuel, I need you to turn around and stop looking at the past. And I need, to put you, I need you to put your eyes on the future because there's something that's going to happen. Fill your horn with oil. Get to Bethlehem. Jesse's got a bunch of sons down there. And I've tagged one of those sons to be the next king to replace King Saul. And oh, by the way, King Saul is not going to be happy about it. And so Samuel doesn't head right out, as you might well understand. He says, God, when when Saul finds out why I'm there, he's going to kill me. And Samuel was right. Saul would. Saul probably would. So the voice comes back to Samuel, okay, take a cow with you and go to Bethlehem and offer sacrifice to the the Lord there for the people. And and I want you to invite, invite Jesse and his family to the sacrifice. And so Samuel heads out, and he does what the Lord tells him to do. We, we read this in verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. This would be the first of, of, Samuel, of uh, Jesse's sons. He saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Jesse shows up with these seven sons, and the first one steps out. Samuel lays eyes on him, and he is stunning. He's tall, dark, and handsome. He's muscular. He's good-looking. He, he's got king written all over him, and Samuel says to himself, wow, I am about to anoint Eliab, the next king of Israel. Now Samuel is a prophet, and so God is speaking to him in a peculiar, in a unique way, and as he stands there with this horn filled with oil, and he's getting ready to anoint Eliab, the voice comes, verse 7, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, that is an important thing for you to hear. 
so important, I'm going to ask you to do something that I don't ask you to do very often. I want us to go see where it's green and it starts with people look at the outward. See that right there? I want you to read that with me. Go back. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. Can you read that with me? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That is so true. So true. Now, when you meet somebody for the first time, you are making assessments of them, right? When you lay eyes on somebody for the very first time, you're just basically going on what you see, and you're making some judgments. You're making some decisions on what you see. We, we pretty much do this with everybody we meet. Guys, we do this with just about every man we see, and ladies, I don't know if you realize this or not, but here's what men are thinking. Can I take him? That's what we're thinking. Can I take him, or do I need to run? If this goes south, am I going to fight? Or am I going to run? That's honestly, psychologists will tell you that's one of the things we're doing. Um, men are also looking at women, and I'm not going to go into what we're doing there, but that's probably not good, right? But we do. We 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 make an inventory. We we kind of assess where things are. We we are kind of downloading information. So let me put it to you this way: two guys roll up in two different cars. One guy gets out of a Corvette, an, a, a late model Corvette. You're, you're assuming some things about him. He's probably got some money. He likes to go fast. You know, he likes cars and stylish cars. And, um, you know, probably, he's probably, I mean, for me, I, I, I want to talk to him because he's driving a Corvette. And then there's another guy that pulls up in a rusty old Chevette. Now, apologies to anybody that's driving a Chevette or, or has driven a Chevette or a car like that. We've all had those, right? We've all had those rusty cars and 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 uh, you might be in one right now and and god bless you uh, hopefully god gives you something better but um we make assumptions about that person too we start thinking things like well maybe that you know maybe they don't have much maybe maybe life's hard for them and you know those all those perceptions could be wrong the guy in the corvette could have borrowed that car the guy getting out of the chevette might have two million dollars in the bank and it's richard and all of us you know um, you just never know, but we're, we're making assumptions based on what we see. Um, appearance is, is, seems to be everything to us. And, you know, the guy gets out, and he's all prim and proper, and we make a certain assessment. Another guy gets out, he's covered in tattoos, we make an assessment. You know, guy gets out, and he's chunky, and we make an assessment. The guy gets out, and he's ripped like me, and we make an assessment. <laughs> I should probably flip-flop that, shouldn't I? Um... We judge people by their, their, um, by their accents. You know, you hear somebody talk with a southern accent, you automatically deduct 30 points from their IQ, only to realize that they're smarter than you. You know, and you're like, holy cow, I didn't realize they were that smart. I remember I was a youth pastor in Seymour, Indiana. I was in my office thinking I'm a big shot. You know, I've read an article about aviation and planes, and, and you know, I'm, I'm carrying that information around just waiting for the right time to use it. And this old man comes, and he's sitting. In, he's waiting on his granddaughter, and he's sitting in my office talking to me. And I'm, I start talking about airplanes. I start telling him everything I've been learning about airplanes. And he let me talk for like a half an hour. And then he said, well, Brett, I flew fighter planes in World War II. And I was like, oh. You know, I've made an assumption. This guy's an old farmer, talks with a southern accent, doesn't act like he knows a whole lot, probably hasn't done a whole lot. He hadn't done anything with his life. Holy cow. I mean, I sat for the next 15, 20 minutes letting him tell me all about airplanes. 
you know, it, we do that. We make these assessments. We look at things through our eyes and we see the outward appearance and we think to ourselves, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. I'm going to, this is good or this is bad. And God's like, no, be careful doing that. We are very accustomed to making snap decisions based on what we see. Psychologists call it thin slicing and it's not good. And God says, hey, listen, don't do that. I see things you don't see. I can see places in that person that you can't see. And somebody that you might pass on, you might be passing on a great potential friend. Or someone that you might think is going to be all that really has a really bad negative heart. And God says, I see the heart. So the question this morning is this, how's your heart? How's your heart? That place that only God can see. I'm not talking about the organ that pumps your blood. You know, many of you have watches on that can tell you how your heart's beating and how much oxygen and, you know, we've got all these diagnostic tools for that. I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that, that, ima- that invisible thing that nobody else sees. That, that thing that you feel with, that you love with. How's that? It's an important question. God sees Eliab's heart and he says, yeah, not him. Not him. Samuel, that's not who I want to be the next king. King David will have a son. His name is Solomon, and Solomon wrote uh, many of the Proverbs. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. See, the heart spills. The heart is constantly spilling. It's just a matter of time before what's in the heart comes out of the heart. You say that person has a nasty, angry disposition and nasty, angry words. Well, then that person probably has a nasty, angry heart. There's stuff that happens in the heart, and it's, it's, it's there before it ever becomes visible to the human eye. Jesus talked about this in, the, in his gospel, in the gospel of Luke. He said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Eliab shows up, and Samuel says, it's got to be him. And God says, no, Samuel, I'm looking at his heart. And his heart's not good. So the question remains, how's your heart? Do you have a complaining heart? Jealous? It's only a matter of time before whatever is inside there spills out. And it's, it's available for other people to see. Sean and Nyquist um, wrote a book called Cold Tangerines. And early on in the book she says this, A lifetime of anger is like a lifetime of hard drinking. It shows in your eyes in your face, and in your words, even when you think it doesn't. How's your heart? Eliab is passed over because of what's going on on the inside. God sees it and says, it's not good. And Samuel looks at him and he's like, man, I'm, you know, this is the guy right here. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema passed by but Samuel said nor has the Lord chosen this one Jesse passes seven sons past Samuel and then in verse 10 we read the Lord has not chosen these and and Samuel starts thinking well is there a problem here I mean am I missing something I've come all this way seven sons seven no's God you know what's going on and Samuel's thinking to himself what's the deal man Jesse do you have any more sons anywhere else is there anybody please tell me I haven't come all this way For nothing, is there anybody else? Verse 11, are these all the sons you have? 
There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. You talk about uh, using motivation. There's some motivation. We're not going to eat. We're not sitting down to eat till he's here. All right, go get, go get David. So a servant runs out and brings in this kid. And scholars think that about this time, David would have been 12 or 13 years old. He's not very old. Verse 12, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So appearance is not nothing. You're like, you're listening to me talk a minute ago, and you're like, Brett, so appearance doesn't mean anything? No, I think we should be healthy. I think we should try to look our best. I think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, I, men look your best. Ladies, fix your hair up and, you know, go for it and do all the painting, whatever it is that you do. Um, amazes me to watch you guys do that, by the way. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. See, David looked good, but it was more than just looking good. David's heart was right. David had a heart that God knew that he could use, and he said, Samuel, rise and anoint him. And Samuel tilts his horn with oil, and the oil starts to drip out, and it's dripping on Jesse's eighth son, David, who will become the next king to succeed Saul. This will become David of David and Goliath. Verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. And so God is going to start moving in David's heart and prepare him to become the king. Samuel gets home to do what? To fade away. He goes home to basically pass on. And as Samuel is looking back on what we believe to be a 12 or a 13 year old boy, and he's thinking about David and everything that is going to be ahead of him. He, you wonder if he didn't look back at his days when he was that age, growing up in the tabernacle. The question is, how can the hand of God be on a kid this early? But the hand of God had been on Samuel at the same age. And Samuel goes back home, not in grief, he goes back knowing that the power of God has been transmitted from a faithful prophet to a faithful king in King David. And with the anointing of David, Samuel fulfills his final official task that we know of. As far as we know, this is the last thing that Samuel does. And he did this when he got up and he got over his grief and he moved forward to do the thing that God was calling him to do. God said, you're not done yet. I have important things for you to do. You don't need to spend one more minute grieving. You don't need to spend one, one more minute looking over your shoulder at the past. Samuel, pick your head up, move your feet, let's get going Let's get out of this funk you're in and let's take steps toward the future. I need you to begin to look forward. What I want to do is to impress upon you in the time we have left the significant challenges of faithfulness. Um, over the past six weeks, four, four ideas basically have presented themselves and uh, I want to present those to you to finish out our time together. It will not take long, I promise. Um, I want you to desire faithfulness more than you desire anything else in your life. I have moved past 50 in my life. In fact, I'm well past 50 now. And uh, I am closer to the end of my life than I am to the beginning of my life. And I want to be faithful. When I die, I want it to be said of me, man, he, he was faithful. Now, I'm just like you. I can look back over my life and I can see periods of my life where I made dumb decisions and I did stupid things. I can see times in my life where I was anything but faithful. 
I can look back at times and think, man, I, w- I would give anything to have a do-over there. I would give anything if I could go back and change that. You know, I can look back and see things where you, you, you say, boy, when you talk about faithful, that wasn't faithful. But the older I get, the further I go in ministry, the more those words, man, he was faithful, the more they mean to me. And I want it to mean more to you as well. So I want us to receive four strong challenges to end our time together uh, as we wrap up the series. Challenge one, be faithful in the shadows. Be faithful in the shadows. When Samuel, uh, when we meet him as a little kid, he's running around the tabernacle. He has no responsibilities. He really has no authority. He's not in charge of anything. He has no position. But we would read in 1 Samuel 2, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. And the people were saying, boy, would you look at Samuel? And God, I think God looked down and he said, look at my boy. Look at him. The people loved him. God loved him. Samuel is faithful in the shadows and faithfulness in the shadows prepares us to be faithful when the lights hit us. Those of you who are in middle school, those of you who are getting ready to go into high school, those of you who are in your early to mid-twenties, listen to me. Don't think for a second that, that you know, you're going to be faithful when, the, uh, when you get your big responsibility or you get the big prom- promotion. You are becoming now the person that you are going to be. You're in the process of becoming. And it would be a wrong assessment or, or a wrong evaluation to say someday when I have an important position and I'm an you know, important title and I have responsibilities, then I'll start to think about living a life of faithfulness. No, no, no. You've, you are becoming that person now. Pursue truth now. Pursue integrity now. Pursue truth-telling now. Keep your word now. Be faithful in the shadows. It trains the channels of the heart to be faithful for the day when major responsibility is given to you. Don't wait until that time shows up. Begin to cultivate those kind of things in your life now. Samuel was faithful in the shadows. Number two, embrace repetition. Remember Samuel's cycle from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah. Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah. He embraced the reputation. It takes a while to establish a reputation. At the core of every stable family is a redundancy. At the core of every stable family is this holy repetition. And then she got up and she did it again. And then she got up and she did it again. And she did it again. She was faithful. It's true in every school, it's true in every hospital true in every organization on every team you show me a winning team i'm going to show you people who are faithful to get up and do it every day again and again and again when everything is clicking when everything is going well there are usually a core group of individuals who've come together and they're doing their thing and they're doing it faithfully and they're dispatching this they're discharging their duties in such a way that they can be successful and the whole team becomes successful do it again and again Some people, you know, they think to themselves, well, if it's not necessarily interesting and if it's not real uh, flashy and and exciting, then I really don't want to have anything to do with it. But that's when faithfulness really shows up, is when there really isn't a great motivation to do it, but you know it's the thing that needs to be done. If everything has to be new and shiny all the time for you to be faithful, 
then it's very likely that you will never be able to impact the lives of the people that you're trying to impact because you're not willing to show up when things aren't all glossy and flashy and, 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 and exciting. Embrace reputation, repetition. Uh, challenge number three, watch your step. Watch your step. At the end of Samuel's life, he's preparing to wind down, and he asks, have I ever taken a bribe from you? And the answer came back, you've never taken anything from us that wasn't due you. It would have been very easy. I have no doubt that Samuel got proposition time and time again to be swayed in one of these decisions that he had to make for these grievances. But not one time did he ever step into something that he shouldn't have. And it would have been so easy to have let that happen. It takes years to build a reputation and very little time. Often, sometimes one mistake can blow the whole thing up. One decision can blow the whole thing up. Along comes a season in your life where you're alone or you're bored or you're scared and you make a decision that you end up regretting for the rest of your life. Watch your step. Number four, live as to be missed. We have seen the final mission of Samuel's life, but we have not seen the final verse. There's something very important about the death of Samuel that I want you to see. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own hometown in Ramah. Samuel dies, and the people cry. They will miss Samuel. Samuel dies and the nation mourns because he had entered their time when there was literal and spiritual chaos. And he was faithful, not just week after week or month after month, but decade after decade, he just kept showing up and doing his job. He could be counted on. He was consistent. He was persistent. And when he passed, they missed him. Live so as to be missed. I will never forget graduating from Johnson Bible College taking my first ministry in Seymour, Indiana. I was a youth pastor. I started on June 8, 1986. I will never forget it. I got there. I, I was going to be working with a great man named Bill Weaver. He's a dear friend of mine to this day. He's one of my mentors. I highly respect him. Great pastor. Bill Weaver is a great pastor. And Bill was going to go on vacation two weeks after I showed up. He said, Brett, hold down the fort till I get back. All right, boss. So, Sure enough, Bill goes on vacation to Florida. The phone rings in the office. It's the funeral director. I've never done a funeral in my life. I'm scared to death to do a funeral. And this funeral director's like, is Bill there? And I said, no, he's on vacation. He said, well, you're next. I said, what? He said, I need you to do a funeral. Well, I, you know, I didn't know what to say. I, didn't, I couldn't think of anything. So the only words that came out of my mouth were, uh, okay. So I went to see this family, and I'm trying to talk to the family to this, of this woman that had passed away. She was uh, in her late 50s. She'd been sick for a while. And, um, you know, I, I went and I, I talked to somebody. I said, what should I do? And they said, well, find out if there's a special verse or something that they like. So I said, did she have a special verse that she liked? And they laughed and said, no, she wasn't real churchy. Okay. They said, um, we don't really want anything real churchy. We don't want you to use the Bible. Um, we, don't, we just want you to talk about her. Well, I didn't even know her. And this is my first funeral. And I'm like, this is going to be bad. That, like, this was my, excuse my language, but my oh crap moment in ministry. Like, oh my goodness. I got through it. Officiating a funeral 
is two things for me. Part of it's hard because, especially if I know the person, um, it's, it's hard because I've got an attachment and I'm going to miss them and, and I gr- I'm grieving too. But there's a part of it that's, I don't know what word I want to use, I'm going to use the word joy. Um, I, fun is not really the word that I would add to that, but, but there's, a, there's a good feeling that comes in helping people through difficult times. And that's what ministry is. Ministry is full of these, these ups and downs, but the ups are when you're able to really be there for a family and you know that you've, you've made a difference in some way. And so I want to tell you about two funerals that I did, and I want to draw a distinction. I want to juxtapose the two. I did a funeral, it's probably well over 10 years now, and it was a funeral director called. What happens is if, they, if they've got a family that doesn't have any church affiliation, they don't know a pastor, the director will call the churches. And I've got a pretty good relationship with several of the, the directors here in town. And one of them called me and said, Brad, I've got a family here that, that doesn't have a pastor. Would you be willing to come do this funeral? And I said, sure. So I went to meet with the family. There were some son, kids and there was a, um, the wife was there. And, and so I'm trying to get anything I can because I don't know this person. I've never talked to them. I don't know anything about him. I'm trying to get something that I can make this uh, personable and, and personal in some way as much as I can having not known them. And so as I'm interviewing this family, just trying to find out about this man, these are the kind of things I heard. Well, he was kind of a hard-drinking guy, and, you know, he, he lived hard, and, um, you know, he wasn't big on saying, I love you. We didn't hear a whole lot of that. And kind of marched to his own drum, which is kind of... Um, nice speak for he was kind of bullheaded and you couldn't tell him anything and one of the kids said man he 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 just seemed so angry all the time and he was so hard on us as kids he was really hard on us and i asked the question i said did he go to church one of the kids chuckled and said no no he did not go to church he was not a god person he was not a religious person and i left that meeting with that family thinking to myself this is going to be awful. What do I say? What, 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 what am I supposed to say? These people are going to come in tomorrow, and I'm going to stand up in front of these grieving people, and I'm going to try and, I mean, pardon my language, but I'm going to try to paint lipstick on a pig, pretty much, right? Like, it's just, it, there's, there's nothing good for me to say. They couldn't even say anything really good about him. And I just got to tell you, that was, there's nothing joyful in that experience for me. I didn't even really feel like I helped anybody. I just, it just, it was awful. Now let me, that's one experience. Let me tell you about an experience I had just a few months ago. Where this man had been successful in his life. I knew him. I looked up to him. I respected him. I would even go so far as to say that I loved him. He had been very good to me. Success had not gone to his head. He was very humble. He was kind. He'd been generous to this church. He'd been generous to me. He had a bunch of grandkids, and I was told when I got there, hey, the grandkids all want to participate in the funeral. And I'm like, okay. They all had something that they'd written that they wanted to say about Grandpa. And, and you know, they, they one by one, I made room for them in the service to get up and, and to read their little notes. And the, the notes were all different. These were all basically teenagers. And they each one got up and they read their note and I stood behind them, listened to them, sobbed through their notes. 
And while every note was different, all the notes were saying the same thing. He played with me. He made me feel special. He taught me how to hunt. He helped me with my algebra. He was at my games. He used to travel with us. He took us to Florida. He used to travel. He'd come in from work and he would drop everything just to get to our games and watch us. He was never too busy for us. Listen, funerals are hard to attend. Funerals are hard to officiate. This one wasn't. I don't know any other way to say it, but this one was easy. Yes, it's hard to watch people that you love go through something like that. It's hard to watch people grieving. I was grieving. And it's hard to watch. I've, I've, gone, I've done funerals for people that I didn't even know and gotten emotional because I was seeing their family weep. I think that's what's going on with Jesus when he weeps at Lazarus' grave. He sees the sadness around him. I think it touched him. And I've known what that is, to be there, and, and it, it starts to encroach on me, and I start to feel it. And I might not even know that person, but I see the grief. But in this case, I love this guy. I loved his family, dear family, close to me. But the funeral itself was easy. When you've got a guy like that, what that adds up to is that that's a funeral that's easy for a preacher to do. The first one I described, not so much. The second one, absolutely. So here's my challenge to you. Live your life in such a way that you make it easy for the preacher to do your funeral. <laughs> All right? That's the lesson. That's the lesson. Build faithfulness into your life. That's what was going on in that casket, in that second funeral. This man had built faithfulness into his family. It was amazing to watch them with each other. It was amazing to watch them walk through this grief-filled experience and not get defeated and not get down, but to hold their head high in respect and dignity because he had built that into the family because he had been so faithful and they're going to be faithful. One of these days, live your life as when you're laid out there, people walk by you, they remember how much you cared. They remember that you showed up. They remember your integrity. They remember that you took time. They remember your faith. And they remember your faithfulness. Live your life in such a way as when you see God one of these days, you hear the words back, well done, good and faithful servant. I want you to want that more than you want fame. More than you want money more than you want anything else in the world. He was faithful. She was faithful. Let's pray together. Father, we can all look back on life and we can see those times when we were anything but faithful. But it doesn't disqualify us. It doesn't make us bad people. It doesn't mean that we don't love you. It means that we've been living and learning. It means we've been gaining wisdom. It means you're not done with us. And Father, uh, I pray that the people in this room would, would begin to embrace this idea of faithfulness in their life, that this idea of I'm going to show up when it's not flashy, when it's not sexy, when it's not exciting, I'm going to show up. And I'm going to be the man or woman of God in those circumstances. And I'm going to bring my best. And I'm going to tell the truth. 
and I'm going to bring integrity, and I'm going to bring hard work. I'm going to be faithful. And I pray, Father, that you would put a hunger for faithfulness in us that would be deeper than any hunger for money, deeper than any hunger for talent, deeper than any hunger for fame or fortune, that we would, we would desire when we stand in front of you, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I give you thanks for Jesus. It's only because of him that we can even come to you in these moments and pray like this. And we are blessed because you gave him to us. And we are saved because of him. And he is our ultimate model of what faithfulness looks like. May we aspire to look like Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.